Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. One of the most incredible sport record that I got fascinated a few years ago was not of man, but of a horse. And I'm not sure if any of you follow uh, sports of horses, but back in 1973, after a long vacant of 25 years, a horse finally won a triple crown in the sport of horse racing. The title triple crown is given to the horse that wins three competitions in a row. And if you go to the next slide, uh, you'll see that this is still held today. And uh, number one, we have the Kentucky Derby. I'm sure many of you heard of that. You heard of that? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you put some money on it? Raise your hand. No. And uh, I'm sure uh, uh, you don't want to do that as a Christian, all right? But I'm sure you know uh, what Kentucky Derby is all about. And then also we have uh, Preakness Stakes, and I'm not familiar with that either, but uh, if you're familiar with that, there's another competition back-to-back. And then also we have the Bauman Stakes. Now, this horse, I was honored with the Triple Crown back in 1973, was a horse named Secretariat. And in the Kentucky Derby, he set a record which still stands, one, uh, uh, one minute and 59 seconds. No horse had ran under two minutes before this time. In the Preakness Stakes, he set another record of 1 minute 53 seconds. He won the race by two and a half length distance, and, uh, meaning two horses length. And when they say uh, if, someone, uh, if a horse won by three lengths or four lengths, it means that uh, uh, one length is the size of a horse. At the Belmont Stakes, he truly did something very amazing. And uh, some people say almost perfection. Not only did it set a, uh, set a record of 2 minutes and 24 seconds, which still stands today, but he won the race by not 2 and a half length this time, just like the stake before, but not 4 lengths, not 10, not 20, but by 31 lengths. 31 horses length he won this race. This horse kept the accelerated speed of 37 point miles per hour throughout the entire race. As soon as he got up to that plateau, he kept that uh, uh, speed all the way toward the end. Other horse would fluctuate, but this horse uh, uh, in every way was fast and steady like a machine. Secretariat died in 1989. They did a uh, uh, necro- necropsy and, and found out that this horse was able to win and by that great of a margin with that much steadfastness because his heart was different than any other horse. The heart made the difference. His heart was considerably way bigger than that of average racing horse. A large heart would weigh about 14 pounds or so, and any racing horse would weigh about 14 pounds. But for Secretariat, it was way over that. It was close to 22 pounds. 22 pounds. It wasn't the muscles or the outward structure of the horse that had him to win 31 lengths on that Bellman stake, but it was the heart that made the difference. As we think of this story, we should evaluate our race that is set before us. What's going to make the difference in our lives, and what's going to keep us to finish the race that is uh, calling us to be strong and to be steady? Spiritually speaking, I truly believe by the evidence of the scripture that it's really the heart that matters. The heart. 
You see, even from the beginning, our salvation is started from the heart. I think about Romans chapter 10. If you look at the slide with me, the Bible says in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy where? Heart. God had raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. You see, we don't believe with our minds, and many people say that they, they do, but I believe that we really believe with our hearts. The mind can be the enemy of faith, you see. For the mind wishes to reason and argue and bring conflict, and that's why the Word of God says in Proverbs 3, 5, if you go to the next slide, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. You see, our understanding always is contrary to what God wants us to believe in our hearts. It's always fighting against each other. And so God says, trust the Lord with all of your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the Bible says, casting down what? Imagination. How do we do that? With our minds. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, to the natural man, they try to understand God with their minds. They try to make sense of it all. If it doesn't make sense, they don't want to believe. But they cannot understand God with their minds. They need to believe God with their hearts. To the natural man, it doesn't make sense that we are sinners. And it doesn't make sense that there is a hell. It doesn't make sense why Christ died. It doesn't make sense why... Blood had to be shed. It doesn't make sense how Christ rose again. Why? Because of their approach to God is with their minds and not with their hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In their mind, it doesn't make sense that they need to believe a man to go to heaven. They don't need to believe in themselves. They don't need to believe in any... Uh, uh, other evidence of maybe uh, 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 science or maybe even a, a, a recorded history. And, and uh, uh, if it every way conflicts what God wants them to believe, uh, they don't want to uh, uh, rule that out. And because uh, they don't want to rule out mind in the equation of knowing God. But ladies and gentlemen, if you want to approach the Lord, we must recognize the fact that uh, 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 we need to approach him with our hearts, and, and God wants to reach you with your, uh, in your heart first, and then I believe that he is able to make you understand the things that uh, he has shared with you. I think about Hebrews chapter 11, there's a great example in verse 3. Through faith, we understand. Notice that phrase, through faith, we understand. And in the context, it's talking about creation. And uh, it says that, uh, uh, that the works that were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. And, and uh, if you're a Christian this morning, you believe that uh, God created the earth in six literal days. Amen? And were we there? No, we weren't there. Uh, were we there when God created uh, 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 the living creatures and, uh, on the fifth day and, and on, also on the sixth day? No, we weren't there. And when we, were we there when God said, let there be light on the first day? No, we weren't there. But through faith, we what? Understand. By faith, we understand. And the world says that sounds very foolish and, and uh, that sounds very ignorant. You've got to consider all the different scientific data. But uh, it doesn't matter what you show us, we still believe. We believe that God created the heaven and the earth. 
And we believe that uh, he has given us a soul, and, and we believe that we're accountable to him. And that if we are in every way all by ourselves, and uh, we have our own accountability, and, and we're the only authority, but guess what? Then I believe that we could do whatever we want. There is no moral law, and, and uh, why do we know if we're good and wrong, and, and uh, how do we know what is good and evil, and and I believe we understand all that because of the divine authority, and also we are created in the image of God. And, and ladies and gentlemen, we must understand by having faith in him, and that's what God calls us to do. And so faith and belief is in the heart. Going back to the topic this morning, I wonder if there's someone here trying to believe God with their minds, and you'll find more conflict in doing that. You'll find more stress and arguments doing that. You'll find more foolishness in doing that. I believe you need to trust God with all of your hearts. Then you'll be at peace, and then you'll be surrendered. Then uh, you'll have joy of the Lord. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ with your heart, our journey as a Christian is still a journey of the heart. Do not forsake this calling that God has given you as much as he called you into salvation so that you may believe in him with all of your heart and so that your sins can be cleansed. And that uh, 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 when you die one day, you'll be on your way to heaven. And as you have started that journey of the heart, do not forsake that calling as you're following him in this temporary life. Make sure you follow him with all of your hearts. Love God with all of your hearts, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And also we need to seek God with all of our hearts in Deuteronomy 4, 29. It says thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart. And also the Bible says to repent and to turn to God with all of our hearts. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 10, the Bible says, If thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And we need to obey God with all of our hearts. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 2, And shall return unto the Lord thy God, and shall obey his voice, according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart, and with all thy soul. And all those verses that I mentioned concerning our relationship between God and the heart, you must recognize that it's from Deuteronomy. Now, why is this significant? Well, what does the word Deuteronomy mean? It means repetition of the law. You see, the people in the wilderness, the Israelites, they knew of this already. They heard this before. To love God with all their hearts and and to repent and to turn to God with all their hearts, to obey God with all their hearts. And they knew all that. And and, uh, Moses writes Deuteronomy again and and giving repetition of the law, reminding them what they need to do before they go to the promised land. Make sure you keep your heart right with the Lord. Make sure your heart is sensitive to God Almighty. Because it's the heart that matters. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that this is the same application for us as Christians this morning. It is the heart that matters, and we need to uh, uh, make sure that we have uh, repetitive uh, Uh, instructions and also teaching and even preaching uh, concerning the heart because God wants your heart because heart is uh, a place of purpose and plan and motive and and also uh, 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 emotions and God wants all of you and if he wants all of you he says I want your heart and ladies and gentlemen let us make sure that we are in this journey uh, with the right heart and with the right 
with the right motive. And uh, I think about a, a man named David in the Bible. He had a testimony of man after God's own heart. He left a testimony for us to consider, for this testimony did not come from others. For people could say a lot of things about others, and, but they could be mistaken about them. And, uh, you know, I'm sure many of you have uh, uh, been complimented by somebody, and then uh, uh, next you know, uh, they say bad things about you, and, and uh, you know, people are not very consistent in how they view you and how they judge you. But as we think about the testimony of man after God's own heart, that testimony was given by God. And God always tells the truth. Does he ever lie? No. God says, I see David's heart. By the way, I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. But who could see our heart? God could. That is the greatest accountability that we have. Now, I could maybe, you know, try to uh, uh, explore your mind and talking to you. And uh, maybe I might get a little glimpse of where your heart is. But only God knows the deep things of the heart. And God saw the deep things of David's heart. He explored it. He said, this man is after my own heart. What a testimony. And they shall let us make sure that we recognize that he explored our hearts as well. As much as he explored and saw David's heart, he sees your heart and mine. And he will reveal it one day. Look at the next slide. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians. And uh, in verse chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Who both will bring to life a, what kind of thing? A hidden thing of darkness. And will make manifest the counsel of the where? And then shall every man have praise of God. And ladies and gentlemen, God will do this one day. You might act like a Christian, and you might be very diligent. You might work with your hands and do all that you can for the Lord Jesus Christ. But God says, I, I know your heart. I know where your heart is. I think about many times I go so many. I remember one man, I met it, I knocked on the door, and I said, I'm from Bible Baptist Church, and, and uh, he had a bottle of uh, whiskey in his hand and, and a cigarette in the other. And uh, I said, do you go to church? And I said, yes, I do. And, uh, and uh, do you go every week? No, I don't. And uh, I said, well, and I try to explain to him about my church and about what we do here. And, and he said, you know what? It doesn't matter if I go to church every day. It doesn't matter. I mean, I go sometimes, and, but God knows my heart. In my mind, yes, he does. <laughs> he sure does. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, um, sometimes we could justify our Christian life or maybe even our sin in saying, God knows my heart, and he knows I'm really sincere deep down. But the Bible says, by the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks it. And, 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 and the heart would manifest itself and, uh, uh, and, 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 and good tree bringing forth, you know, evil fruit. I mean, a good fruit. And an evil tree bringing forth evil fruit. And, 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 and many people, I think, are somewhat confused in this matter of the heart. 
And, and I think as Christians, we need to make sure that what we do outwardly and inwardly are consistent because God sees both. And we'll talk about that a little later as well. But how can we have a heart that is approved of the Lord? Because that is truly that matters. Because he's the one that could only approve it. I'd like to share with you three distinguishing testimony of David's heart this morning. A heart that is approved in the journey of the heart. First of all, we must consider his surrender heart. His surrender heart. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and the Bible says, When he had him removed them, he raised up unto them David to be their king. And to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. You see, to be a man after God's own heart is to be a man who is following after God's heart. Uh, what does it take to follow? Surrender, I believe. Many Christians are fully aware of God's call to surrender, but have a hard time doing so. And they sing, I surrender all, often. And they come to church and sing that often. But I believe that as Christians, uh, as much as we are, we are knowledgeable about the calling of surrender, I wonder if we truly surrender in our hearts. And as we think about the calling of surrender, we have a hard time in performing that, and I believe it's because our hearts are not involved, our hearts are not surrendered. You see, a, uh, you see, surrender should not be a have to, but it should be a want to. And I think sometimes we could say, you know, uh, I had to surrender to God, so I'm going to do it. And I think there's some merit in that. I, I think some people uh, could do things for the Lord in that way, but I think it's far more better when you say, I love the Lord, I want to surrender. Doesn't that sound better? I think your heart's in it. I think it'll last longer. I saw a brief documentary of Genghis Khan. I'm sure many of you heard of him, and uh, I like history. <laughs> and uh, um, The great emperor and military leader of the Mongolian Empire. And uh, he came down to the northern region of China in 1215 to take over the Jin Dynasty. The capital city of Zhongdu, which had a population of 350,000 people and uh, is a modern-day Beijing. China hired some mercenaries to bring about pre-attack to the Mongols coming around the Great Wall. But when they, the two military units, met, the mercenaries said, we want to surrender. Before any arrows were cast and before any swords were drawn, they said, we want to surrender. They were spared, and they became part of the Mongolian military to serve the Khan of Mongolia. They didn't die at the hands of the Mongols that day. They said, our heart's with you, and we want to surrender, and we want to be part of your tribe. However, when Genghis Khan came to the Jin Dynasty in Zhongdu, they did not surrender like the mercenaries. Their supplies and trades were cut off by the Mongols for one year, the population of 350,000 people starved to death and became cannibals. Finally, as the battle was came, Zongdu fell to his knee, and, and, uh, and they said, we have to surrender. And as we think about the story, and uh, I know military warfare, and uh, you know, if America attacks us, we want to make sure we defend this country. And uh, as much as we want to defend this country from ISIS, <laughs> and, uh, and we want to make sure that we are protected, and uh, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, in any sense, uh, give favor to the Mongols or anything like that. And, and uh, I'm not talking about politics here or talking about 
uh, the military, uh, uh, I guess, the device or whatever it is. But I think it's a good, wonderful illustration to show our, maybe our relationship with the Lord. I think sometimes we could be like the, uh, you know, uh, people who decided to say, you know, we're going to fight this war. We're not going to surrender and uh, bring all the casualty. And then after a while, yes, we will surrender. We have to surrender. But I think we need to be like the other group where we say, dear God, you're the God of God and the Lord of Lords. We don't want to fight you. We don't want to argue with you. We don't want to question you. We just want to surrender because you know what's the best for us our lives, and we love you. And we give our allegiance to you. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a difference between I have to surrender and I want to surrender. I have to, in many cases, are delayed, uh, surrender with much casualties and defeats. And I want to are always often immediate surrender with victory, passion, and heart. I think about a great example of Jonah. Jonah had the wrong mind of I have to. And even in chapter 4, after he saw the great revival of uh, uh, Nineveh, he was griping, he was complaining, and he prayed to God, don't you see, I told you so, that you are a good, merciful, gracious God, and you will spare them. And we observe that his heart was not in that surrender. He went there, I have to, and God still blessed, God gave revival. But we see in chapter 4, by the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Jeremiah had the right heart, too. I, I want to. I, I like Jeremiah, and I've been reading Jeremiah for my devotion. And uh, the king, the princes, and false prophets wanted to kill him. That's very inconvenient when you're a prophet, and uh, you're speaking the truth of God, and they want to kill you about it. And, uh, you know, and he wished no longer to speak in God's name. He got discouraged, and... But he writes in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, if you look at the slide, it says, but his word is in my heart as a burning fire. I guess maybe you don't have it. I'm sorry about that. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I was weary and with forbearing, and I could not stay. Oh, Jeremiah said, my heart did not leave this work, and my heart was still burdened by God's word, and my heart was still longing after God's will, and my heart says, my mind said, I don't want to, but my heart said, I got to go. I want to. And what kind of Christian journey do you have? Is it a have-to journey, or is it a want-to journey? Do you say, I have to be in church on Sunday morning? I remember when I was a kid, oh, man, my mom many times dragged me to church. And uh, I wasn't saved, and I, I haven't received Christ as my personal Savior. I remember one time, and... Oh, I hated it. My mom, and she wanted me to dress up, and she put a, you know, button-down shirt. She put a tie on, and, and all the other teenagers, you know, you know, peer pressure is a great thing, isn't it? And uh, I, I remember going that Sunday morning, and I, went, I was sitting there, and then all the tear, uh, teenagers and then the peers are looking at me, looking at all funny, and they were having their polo shirt. They had their, you know, whatever casual thing that they were wearing, and they looked at me like I was an oddball, and uh, I just, you know, uh, couldn't take it anymore. I just had to just get out of that worship service. And, um, and the reason is because in every way, you know, my mom was trying to, you know, bring about some kind of decency in my life. That's fine. And uh, I was trying to follow her. And, and she, she had a broken heart that day because I kind of, you know, uh, skip, I skipped on to the worship service because of, you know, I was somewhat bitter and mad. And, uh, but after I got saved, guess what? You know, my heart changed about all that. I'm not saying what you know what you dress and how you look is gonna really tell what kind of Christian you are. 
But, you know, I want to be here now at this church. I love this church. And my heart is in it. Why? Because God has worked in my heart. And, uh, you know, uh, 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 in every way, uh, I, I love uh, preaching to you. I love going soul winning. I love doing all these things. Why? And sometimes you can get weary physically, but my heart's in it. And, and, and God, uh, in every way, has worked in my heart, and, and I want God to continue to do that. And I'm just simply saying there is a difference between I have to and I want to. And ladies and gentlemen, when our hearts surrender to follow him, then realize that God will take responsibility. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong uh, with following God with all of your hearts. It might sound foolish, and people might look, you know, uh, uh, look down upon you, and uh, they might ridicule you. But recognize the fact that when you follow him, he will take responsibility because what he has said it is true, and, and, uh, and the weight of responsibility is not really on us, but on God, and, and God does everything well, and what he has promised, everything's our yea, and everything is true, and, and I think about what Andrew Murray once said, God is ready to assume all full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. God is, ta- is willing to take the responsibility. And if you have a surrender heart to serve the Lord in some capacity, and you might be thinking, why am I doing this? But God says, I'll take responsibility for that. Because I worked in your heart to do that. And I'll bring the rewards, and I'll bring the, I guess, the reaping. And you don't worry about what the consequences are. I'll take care of it. And the surrender heart can be blind sometimes. We understand that. And the world doesn't understand that either. And ladies and gentlemen, but God understands, and God wants our hearts to be surrendered. And we need to make sure that we have the heart of wanting what God wants and have a surrender heart. And let's not serve God with a have to, but I want to. Secondly, not only that, his sensitive heart. I think about David's sensitive heart, his heart of sensitivity. And his heart was not hardened. A hardened heart has a trouble, great trouble in being molded in God's journey and they don't prosper. We should think of the words of Job in Job 9, verse 3 and 4. If he will contend with them, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wide as in heart and mighty in strength, who had hardened himself against him and had prospered. May our hearts be sensitive toward the Lord. May we be sensitive to his will, his desire, and his plan. And if we have hardened our hearts against him, guess what? We cannot prosper. Our God is greater than us. God is much more wise, and God is much more powerful. If we, are, if we harden our hearts against him, ladies and gentlemen, we will not win. And may our hearts be sensitive toward the Lord, and may we follow him with all, uh, in his will, and his desire, and his plan. And, and we need to be sensitive toward what God is sensitive towards, and, and we need to have a heart after God's own heart. So as we think about David's life and what he was sensitive towards, and I think about number one, he was sensitive against one particular thing. He was sensitive against sin. He was sensitive against towards sin. I think about the testimony of David after the sin of Bathsheba. Now, David was not a perfect man, and uh, we see that in the scripture, but we see that he won the favor of the Lord. Why? Because he was sensitive about sin in his life, and uh, when he was confronted to repent, guess what? He repented. He did not have a hardened heart against the Lord, And trying to fight this cause. No, he wanted to make sure 
that he is right with him and that he admits that he did uh, 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 iniquities and transgression against him. And I think about Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, look at it in verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never, never depart out of thy house, because thou hast uh, despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst say secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Notice prophet Nathan's response. Thou shalt not die. You're not going to die. This was a matter of life and death for David. The Bible does say that there is a sin unto death. Maybe David has committed a sin unto death. And David had a life and death situation. But he responded in the right way, with the right heart. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says life is spared. What changed? Because he repented. And I believe if David were to have the wrong response, have a hardened heart, doesn't matter what you say, Nathan, and let me put you in prison, and, and uh, I will have Bathsheba, and, and, and I have not done anything wrong, and I'm the king of Israel. If you had a prideful heart, a hardened heart, I think it would be the contrary. He would be put to death. God would have had him give up the ghost. But I believe that God, in every way, gave mercy and grace to David because he repented. And ladies and gentlemen, God is the same way with us. No one's perfect in this room, and everyone has a share of sin and iniquities and shortcomings, if you want to call it that. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, we must recognize the fact that we have come truly short before the glory of God. And God wants to abundantly pardon your sins, too. I think about what the Bible says in uh, uh, Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What a wonderful God. He's not going to just forgive one or two. No, he says, I will abundantly pardon all your sins. Where grace abounded, and where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. What a wonderful scripture that is. We must remind ourselves of that. And if you have never received Christ as your personal Savior, and, and uh, you know you have sinned, and you know that there is maybe a, a, a great penalty, and uh, as we call it, hell, and, and, and it's not a maybe, my friend. It is true that there is a lake of fire. And sinners who have not repented, they will go there. And without God, they'll be suffering there forever and ever. And uh, if you have come realization of that, recognize that God wants to invite you in his forgiveness, and he wants to abundantly pardon you. He doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. He wants you to go to heaven. Now, if you're a Christian today, if you have some willful sin in your life, I'm going to talk about that tonight in the Corinthian series. The church had a willful sin, a prideful sin, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll see some consequences of willful sin according to Hebrews and the epistles of Hebrews. I'll get to that tonight, but... Ladies and gentlemen, there is something called presumptuous sins, willful sins. We know that it's wrong, but we do it anyways. 
And, and even though when we do that, and, and when we sin against him in that way, guess what? God is still willing to forgive us if we truly repent. Oh, let's be sensitive towards sin. And, and if we are closer to sin, guess what? We are distant from God. But if we're closer to God, we are distant from sin. And we need to make sure that we are closer to God. Secondly, not only was he sensitive against sin, but he was sensitive toward others. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You know, David had the heart to reach out to others, his friends and even his enemies, both even the category of others. And, and that is God's heart. He's sensitive toward other people and his people and also even his enemies. And I recall reading Genesis in my devotion this past week about Jacob. Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel. And uh, guess what? Leah and Rachel, they had competition. And uh, thank God I have one wife, amen? And, uh, you know, how could you have two? I don't know how this man did it, but he had two wives. And, and uh, we know that he was deceived by uh, uh, the father-in-law. And uh, I'm sure you know the story. And uh, he worked seven years for Rachel. He loved Rachel. And uh, Leah had, a, I, think, a, a, I think the Bible calls it, what was it called, Brother Brooks? Was it a slanted eye, slow eye? I forget what it's called. Yeah, I forget, but it's something wrong with her eyes. And then maybe physically it wasn't very attractive. So Jacob was not attracted to her at all. And uh, so he loved Rachel, the younger sister. And then uh, the marriage came after seven years and got into the tent. After the honeymoon was over, he woke up. Guess what? It wasn't Rachel. It was Leah. And that's a horrible sin, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? And uh, I mean, my goodness. And, uh, you know, uh, you marry somebody, and then uh, next thing you know, it's not her the next day. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, uh, that's what happened to uh, uh, Jacob. And, and, and Jacob had Leah and Rachel, and he worked another seven years for Rachel. And, of course, you know, uh, it, it was because of the hardness of people that they did this. And God did not ever approve uh, of polygamy. And uh, God never approves it. I'm sure, I know it's in the Bible, but uh, God said, Jesus said very clearly that, you know, uh, it's, it, it's between one man and one woman. And it's always been from the beginning. That was the purpose of it all. But, but by the hardness of the heart, people want divorce. By the hardness of the heart, uh, people want uh, polygamy, and that's what happened. But anyways, uh, we see in Genesis 29, verse 31, that when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. God does care about what's going on. He says, Leah is hated? Poor Leah. Let me open up her womb. Rachel, I'm going to close your womb. No children for you. You see, God has this compassion. He has this sympathy. And, and, and God does have sensitivity toward others. Even for that Egyptian Hagar. She ran away, and guess who met with her? God did. God promised her, Ishmael will be a great nation. I will, get, I will take care of him. You see, God takes care of everyone. He does love everyone. He is sensitive toward other people. And that's the same calling that we have received, because the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second greatest commandment is to love our who? Our neighbor. Be sensitive toward our neighbor. And uh, just the other day, I received a package. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's exciting to receive a package and thinking, I wonder, because I never, I never purchased this before. <laughs> and I received the package, and I looked at it, and, then, and uh, it was in my name. So I was, about to get a re- I was about to get a pen, and I was about to 
uh, uh, right return to sender. But I realized in the left corner, it's from Japan. And I was thinking, oh man, this poor guy in Japan, he sent this package and, and I'm gonna return it now. It's probably gonna get there maybe a month later and he's gonna be like, oh, the recipient never got it. And I looked at the address again, it wasn't my address. And you get that sometimes, Adrian. You know, I get that all the time. Something's wrong with the, something's going on. Something's going on. The, you, uh, yeah, you, yeah, USPS. But anyways, uh, and I looked at it. It's the wrong address. I was thinking, oh, it's my neighbor. And uh, it was like eleven o'clock at night, so I couldn't knock on their door. So I just sneaked up the stair like a little uh, thief, <laughs> and uh, uh, to the second floor on the next house. And then I just left the package there. Now I don't know uh, if, if you know uh, uh, what happened to it, but I was glad that I was able to do that. And I was thinking, you know, I never really reach out to these people. I should. I should really try to give a track personally. I know we probably have knocked on their door and gave a track somewhere and sometimes. But I need to really reach out to them more. And I even have a new neighbor uh, that came in. And uh, my wife uh, 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 baked some uh, uh, banana bread uh, just the other day. And uh, uh, she wants to give one to the neighbor. And uh, I was not able even to say hi to them yet. And there are people around us all the time who have needs, and especially if they're not Christians, they need the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to be sensitive toward them. And, and uh, I think about what David said. David, he was sitting on the throne. Everything is at peace, and war is over. And he looks up, and he says, you know what? I'm thinking about the house of Saul, the man who tried to kill me, the man who had me go in caves, the man who made me flee uh, from my own home country to the Philistines, the man who really despised me and wanted to kill me. I'm thinking about him. And also Jonathan, my son. Is there somebody I could be kind to in their house? And they found one, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who was lame. And he invited that young man to his court, to his court and to his house. And he lived with David all of his life. David showed kindness, sensitivity, love. I wonder if you have that. I wonder if you have that. Oh, as Christians, let us be sensitive toward other people. Number three, I'm done. His servant heart. His servant heart. In Acts chapter 13, verse 36, for David, after he has served his own generation by the will of God. You know, it doesn't say he reigned or ruled, but it is recorded that he served. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 13, Wherefore, brethren, we have not been called unto liberty, only used not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And the Bible says in Philippians 2.21, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a very selfish nation. I want this. I deserve this. That is the mentality of America today. We don't have enough. And, and we've got to be very careful of that, be careful of that as Christians. And because all seek their own and not the things that which are Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus Christ seek for? When he was here 2,000 years ago, he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve other people, to love other people, and to sacrifice for others, and even to wash his disciples' feet. And let's all have a heart after God's own heart a servant. Be a servant today and, 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 and go out of your way and serve somebody and love somebody in this church and maybe your neighbor or maybe your family members that you have ignored for a while. Maybe even your parents. They've been very good to you and how come we never take 
notice of them now. Oh, let us make sure we're sensitive and we are servant heart. We have a servant heart. And so with that in mind, how is your heart today? Do you have a heart that is truly surrendered to the Lord? Do you have a heart that is sensitive towards sin and against sin, I'm sorry, and also even toward other people? Are you in every way a servant in your heart?